starting in verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. And James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot.
is a is a very special Wednesday. I, um, somebody told one of the staff the other day said we don't even really have a service on Wednesday night, and so man, uh, we have a service on Wednesday night. I just want you to know that, and it's not not your fault that you didn't know it. I, uh, but but on Wednesday night we we tend to concentrate on prayer, although there's multiple activities for all kinds of age levels on Wednesday and stuff, but. But this Wednesday is one of the night of worship. The first Wednesday of each month, we try to do a, a night of worship, which would be a lot of, of like what we've just done in the service. We do it in here. It's a lot like the worship. It's also led in, with scripture and some testimony. Sometimes there's some exercises that would, that would draw you to think about one thing or the other in your spiritual walk. And so... So it's just an exciting time. I, I don't know that we're going to do any ashes on the forehead necessarily, but we're going to we're going to look at that a little bit this week. And so I just uh, I would encourage you to come because uh, this is one of the my favorite nights, Wednesdays of the month. It's the first Wednesday of the month and the night of worship and things. And so I would encourage you and and uh, even if we're not ones that that participate in Lent so much. Uh, Although you're open to do that, surely, but we don't ask you to from the pulpit. But but just come and be a part of that beautiful service. It's only about an hour long. It's rarely anything over an hour. And, and come and be a part of that special day. Amen? Amen. All right. Repeat after me. There is, there is a service, a service on, Wednesdays. on Wednesdays. Amen. Hey, uh, that uh, passage that Frankie uh, shared about is one that I've preached here a lot, and I'm not going to preach the same way today about it and stuff. However, uh, it, it's an important thing, and that's what we've been talking about. As a matter of fact, at the end of the service, there again will be uh, some baskets at the end of the at the end of our, at the doors, and we want you to be able to take cards, and we'd like you to go to your neighbors. I'd love for you to pick ten neighbors around you and go to their homes and just. Just ask them. Maybe you have to introduce yourself to them even. And just say, hey, is there anything that we can pray with you about? I had somebody this week tell me again, a statistic that I already knew, but, but where somewhere only around 50 or 60% of people believe in Jesus Christ in the United States, well over 90% believe in prayer. And that might be people of all faiths. It might even be people that don't necessarily practice any faith in particular, but they still believe in prayer. And I'm not sure who those people are praying to, but they believe in prayer. So a very kind gesture that you can do is to, is, is to ask them if there's anything in their life that you can pray about. We do this sometimes with the waitress. We do it, I, I do it with the person that cuts my hair. I do it with different people. Is there anything that I can pray with you about? And most of the time, people look at it with a, a, as a kind gesture and stuff. I, on occasion, I think only once, maybe twice, in my 30 years, even as a Christian, um, have I had anybody say, no, you can't. And I, I did have one guy that was, that was mad about his illness and stuff, and he was in the hospital, and, and he was angry that he was, that, he was, uh, that he was ill and facing what he was facing and stuff, and he just said, no. And somebody, I didn't even know the guy, and somebody had asked me in the church to go visit him and stuff. Now, the second time I went to visit him, he was like, would you pray for me? And so he it changed, but the very first time was enough. By the way, is, is Bobby? Bobby, are you in here? He's sitting down, buddy. 
sitting outside. Okay, well, awesome thing is uh, that I meant to point out earlier, but Bobby Slaughter, you know, uh, two weeks ago had a life-threatening um, stroke. And uh, he couldn't feel his right side, couldn't move it uh, very well, couldn't pick up things with his right hand and stuff like that. It's also affected his speech some, but, but he, couldn't, he couldn't move, he couldn't get up, anything like that. In just a couple of days, uh, he was up, was walking around, was able to pick up his phone and things, and he's progressing very well. He still has a little bit of the, of, of the uh, speech impediment, but the beautiful thing is that, that uh, they're saying that all of his memories are there, his intelligence is there, his, his faculties, all of those things, they're still there very much so. And he's making plans within the next couple of months to be back to work. So, matter of fact, he's working on a little project for me, and I, I heard about it, I thought Karen's going to kill me. But, but, I, but I set him up, I asked him, I just asked a few guys if they could help me make some uh, uh, 100 20 crosses for the district to give out to the different pastors and he was one of them he came and I, and he, the next that day the day i asked him he had a prototype ready to go and everything like that and and i brought it to me the next day and stuff and i was just like wow i mean he just got on it the very day and then he, uh, a little bit later he had the stroke was it the next day maybe the cross project gave him the stroke I don't know. I was supposed to bring you the cross that week, so I think it was that next week. Okay, but anyway, then he, he did have a stroke, and I'm confused about that. But, the, but, but as he, my wife's more get along with this. This isn't anything to do with the sermon. This is just stuff on my head. But within a couple of days, with a day or two after getting out of the hospital, he's out in his wood shop. And I'm like, Karen's going to be all over me. But, uh, but he's, he's already done most of the cutting and stuff for all of the projects. So it's just amazing. I just give the Lord credit for you. Hey, uh, this passage is a powerful passage. I'll try to go through the first part of this really quickly. But, but it says that Jesus is going through the villages. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's, he's doing all kinds of things, helping the poor. And different things. And it says that he looks at the people like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, it says that he has great compassion for them. And, and one of the things that I, I've talked before, but I think we need to see it. And, and it might be like when you see the World Vision commercial or, or something like that where it shows hungry people and the little child with a bloated stomach that's bloated because the gases in the stomach don't have anything to work on. And, and so that... that you know, you see that with the flies all over the child, and it makes you cry. It makes you, it makes you hurt for that person. That's the kind of thing that Jesus has, or, or even the one of the humane society where they sing the dirge and the, and it's talking about the pets and come, come get the pets or whatever. You, you begin to hurt for those, for those animals that need adopted or whatever. That's, that's kind of the word that Jesus. It actually means that it literally turns his stomach when he sees the people. Not that he's aghast at what they look like, but that he hurts for who they are, for what they're going through, for for their situation. And so, um, so we have a. Uh, we need a nurse. Yeah. Oh, we got one, two, three. Okay. We'll keep moving. So that's where Jesus is, and when he realizes. How much the need are, how big the need is, and things like that. He begins to ask, uh, 
And he begins to realize, I, I can't do this on my own. Remember that Jesus has, has uh, denied all of this divinity in order to come to earth and be a man and, and live on this earth and, and to experience life as we experience. And so, so he's doing everything that he can, but only in the strength that one human being would have. And, and he's got the disciples that he's teaching and things like that. And he's brought them to the place where he realizes they have enough. They have enough information to be a part of the ministry that he's involved in. And so what, what he does is he goes to them and he says, hey, guys, listen, this is what I need you to do. I need you to pray that God will um, send out workers into the harvest field. And so as they're praying about that and everything, he gets the answer from God. And of course, the Lord is saying, I want you to use these 12 guys you've been working on. I want you to use these 12 that you've been discipling. And so Jesus taps him on the shoulder and says, good news. The father answered, and this is the answer. He wants to send you. And so he begins to give them directions. He begins to, to tell them about what what he wants them to do and where he wants them to go and, and how he wants them to go together and stuff like that. And he gives them authority and he gives them authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to, to minister to the poor and to tell people, preach and teach the reality that the kingdom of heaven is near. And so they go out and they begin to do that. Now, now what's interesting also is in the first part, in, in chapter 10, verse 1 and 2 there, 3, it says that they are disciples, that the 12 disciples, but then a little bit later it says, and he, uh, and now he sends out the apostles. So in one verse, from one verse to the other, they go from being disciples, and to me a disciple is somebody who uh, is learning the disciplines of their master, of their teacher, of their rabbi. They're learning the disciplines. And that doesn't mean the punishment. That means the disciplines. The, the learning to pray, learning to teach, learning to care for the poor, learning to, to be courteous, learning all of these different things. They're learning the practices and the disciplines of the, uh, of the Lord. But then it, when they become apostles is when they are sent out. And an apostle is somebody who is sent out with the message, the mission, and the authority of the one who is sending them. It, so so he, he takes them from being disciples. Okay, you've learned enough. Frankly, the reality is all of us in this room have more than we need to share the gospel. We have more than we need to really turn upside down our world in favor of Jesus Christ. Every one of us Right now, I believe in this room have that ability. And sometimes it's not a seminary degree. As a matter of fact, sometimes a seminary degree can kind of make you stale. Can make you more intellectual than from the heart. But it's actually the realities of the things God has done in your life that make a difference as you share that story and, 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 and share that with people. Because people really, first they want to know that you care. But then they really want to know, so what does all this have to do with you and how did it work in your life and, and how did it impact you? Right. So Jesus sends out the 12. Now, then I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, we're going to look at verse 13, Peter's confession. Now, in this part, I, I kind of look at it like a district assembly. Now, I don't know, we were taking elections today, actually, and so people that are 
interested in going to the assembly has signed up as delegates and things. And, and our assemblies are great. Uh, our DS and his team and stuff do a do a wonderful, wonderful thing about about making it interesting and informative and inspirational and things like that. So there's there's lots of good things. There was a day, however, when every pastor on the district, which there'd be nearly a hundred, would give like supposed to give two minutes. Now sometimes those two minutes were ten seconds. Some guy would just get up and say something about I was there for twelve months this year and I submit my report and period he'd go sit down and he was kind of uh, yeah. And then there were other guys that would get up there and they'd go for 10 minutes, even though they were only supposed to go for two, and they'd, they'd even give an altar call and take an offering while they're giving their report kind of a thing. And they're going like, oh my goodness, way over the top. And then I remember one, one time where a guy even, but what would happen in those situations was people would seem to, it's like one, after one really spectacular report came, then another pastor would stand up there and he'd try to outdo whatever that guy said. You know, nothing fleshly about that whatsoever, but it would, and, but, and, and almost every pastor has been guilty of that kind of thing one time or another. And at the other time, I remember one pastor who'd been serving, and the big, the highlight of the year was that they had replaced the toilet. And he actually took a picture of the toilet and shared the toilet. Now, and, and I don't want to be, you know, I don't be there. I just, why things? But I kind of look at this here as this passage, as, as Jesus kind of checking out where the disciples are. What's going on? Where have you been? How, how did it work? When I sent you out, tell me about what happened. Things like that. And are people catching on to the ministry and the work of the kingdom? Are, are, are the people out there, are they, are they paying attention to this? And so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples. I think you could also look at this as kind of a test, you know, where, where, uh, where, where a teacher, a good teacher, shares the material of the chapter and things like that. And at the close of that chapter, which might be at the end of each week or whatever, there's a quiz, there's a test that takes place. And so Jesus was just trying to figure out, you guys understand, have you caught on to where we are? Have you caught on to what I'm trying to tell you? And so he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He just asked that question. Guys, what do people think of me out there? What, what, are, the, what, are, they, what, are, they, what are you hearing? What, what's, what's at the grassroots out there? And so they begin to reply, and they said, some say John the Baptist. And see, John the Baptist already has been executed, and so now some are thinking that the spirit of John the Baptist has come back in Jesus. And then others say that you are Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? It's kind of like, okay, well, that's good. That, those are the people that are out there. Those are the people that you were preaching to and you were teaching and you were visiting different towns that I couldn't get to and you're reporting back to me and they think that they think those kind of things as you were talking about me and talking about the coming kingdom. Okay, that's all right. But now, what are you? You guys who have been who've been following me for almost three years, you that have been that have been working with me and you've seen different things and you've heard my teaching, you've been with me 24-7 for, for three years now. What do you, who do you say that I am? And this is when Peter answers very boldly, I think kind of quick, without just without without hesitation, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
That's a huge answer. That, that's really a big answer. You, you see, this is, this, this is, Jesus is going to be the name above all names. The fact that Peter is caught on to this, that there is no name that is more powerful than this name. Uh, I was remembering the other day, thinking about my mom, and by the way, our young uh, uh, couple that were coming to be a pastor, uh, coming to interview as youth pastor and stuff, uh, Brad and Carly Clough, yesterday was Brad's mother's funeral. I think because of his mother dying and stuff, and my mom died uh, just over 20 years ago, I was uh, been, been thinking about her and stuff. And, and I remember that remember one of the things that happened to mom was when she was working in this office, and, and these two criminals came in and started uh, pistol whipping her. They started hitting her over the head with a, with a handgun, the butt of a handgun. And they were asking for the money, and it was money she couldn't get to, and stuff like that. Open a safe, and she couldn't do it, and stuff. And she just started crying out the name of Jesus, 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 save me. And the guy stood back, yelled at her, told her to shut up, and wanted to come back at her, and she just kept saying Jesus. And then finally, both criminals, both of the guys ran out and were, were caught a little bit later. I really believe that was the power of the name of Jesus. I, 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 I think that somewhere in there that guy had heard the name of Jesus or whatever, and, and, I, and I believe that that was part of it. That might be insignificant in a lot of different ways, but in, in the whole reality of the relationship of who Jesus Christ is, but his name is above all names. And when Peter catches this, Jesus is like, wow, that's awesome, Peter. You see, that's awesome because you didn't get this on your own. As a matter of fact, it says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, now don't get confused, this rock is not Peter himself, but upon the confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. See, see what, what happens is Jesus says, yes, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And on that confession, I will build my church. You see, you do not come into the kingdom of heaven. You do not enter into the genuine reality of the kingdom of heaven unless you've recognized that Jesus Christ is Lord and you have you've bowed to Him. You, you submit to Him. You recognize that God is love and that you desire His relationship and you desire to have relationship with Him and, and the life that He has planned for you. You see, it's a, it's a Lordship kind of thing and you're not even a part of the kingdom unless you realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Amen? Thank you. Wow. Now, that's a cool thing. And, I, and I'm sure Jesus, like, he put a star on and, and a stamp and whatever on, on Peter's paper if Peter had one and said, man, that's good. Take that home. Give it to your mom. Put it on the refrigerator. Something like that kind of thing. That's so cool. But like every good teacher, then Jesus starts to teach another lesson. And it's like, open up your books and let's go to the next chapter. And so Jesus does this. And as he does it, it says, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes 
and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. Wow. This is powerful. You see, Jesus has just said, Hey, Peter. Peter, man, that's that's awesome. And upon that confession, you get a you get three stars, you get an A plus plus. This is this is amazing. You are so right. This is just, wow. I'm so glad to hear that. So now that you got that, then I want you to know, yes, I am Christ. I am the Son of the living God. Yes, I am the Lord. And this is what's going to happen next. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the, to the, to the high priest and to the government officials. And, and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, oh, what? No, 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 Jesus, you got this. You, you, you just don't have this right. You, you see, you have the ability to multiply biscuits and fish, and you could feed an army. You have the ability to make the lame walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. You, you have the ability to take people that are demon-possessed and clean them up and cleanse them and free them from the things that have caused them bondages. Lord, no, you can't. You, you've raised the dead, Lord. No, you, you don't have to die. With the gifts you have, with the strengths you have, with the things that you're able to do, you don't die. No, 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 no. You can set up a kingdom and you can rule the known world with the abilities that you have. What are you talking about dying? And a matter of fact, Jesus, if you're number one, then that makes me number two. Because I got all the stars on my paper. And Peter starts arguing with Jesus. When Peter had just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it appears that just within moments, Jesus goes from calling Peter, <laughs> Peter the rock, to Satan. Get behind me. Satan, get behind me. Now what happens here is, is, is an argument. It's an argument that goes on, and I believe it goes on for six days. What Jesus begins and continues to teach after this and between the six days is, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, one of the things, there's this interesting paradox or, 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 or challenge in life. And if we read the things of Jesus, there's talk of humility and denying yourself and crucifying the sinful nature, and, which is the selfish nature, which is the self, self, self. And then the whole world is saying, take care of self. You aren't you worth it. You only live once and, and all of these different things. And the world's saying all of this stuff. And Jesus is saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, crucify the sinful nature. All of these different things. Consider others better than yourself and things. And Jesus is saying one thing and the world is saying another thing. And, and you're kind of like, well, it doesn't make sense. And if I really want to enjoy life, surely I'm going to live it like it's, like, like it's all mine and it matters to me and I'm the center of the universe. Isn't that the way it ought to be? 
And you know what I've seen over and over and over again in the lives of people and in my own life from time to time is when I try, when I put me first, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying there's not time. Matter of fact, one thing Jesus does say is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. That means you have to have a healthy self-love. You hear that? But if everything is all about me, 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 me all the time, it becomes a rotten life. It begins to stink with an awful stench. But I've seen people who time after time after time seem to deny themselves in honor of what God wants them to do, in honor of some direction or wisdom or, or practice that God has called them upon, and they'll deny themselves and carry that out, and then over time, begin to see how God gives them the desire of their heart. And now no longer is it a selfish thing. Now no longer is it a self-centered thing, but now it's, it's God rewarding a faithful servant. When we run after things, or run after positions, or run after things that, that seem to glorify us, or gratify us, or, or whatever, then it all becomes about us, and that can be so rotten and, and detrimental and a pit that you don't, you got to get into finally, and you don't know how to get out of it. So Jesus says it. Jesus says, whoever will deny themselves and follow me, they'll earn eternal life. Well, and eternal life is not something that happens when the casket closes or the monitor goes, oh. Eternal life is now in the presence of Jesus as I know him and have relationship with him. I begin to walk in the abundant life that is eternal life. And I begin to follow him in the, in the lordship of who Jesus is. And my life begins to iron out. My life begins to fix. When, when, when I seek Him first and His righteousness, then everything else the Scripture says, the Scripture promises, falls into place. But if I get it out of order, I mess it up. <clears throat> to where Jesus even says, if you're going to run after yourself, those who seek to save their life will lose it. It's ugly. Those who lose their life, in other words, give it away for Christ, will get it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, what's awful, though, is there's been an argument. I'm really fortunate in this church uh, in, that, in that there haven't been a whole lot of arguments, a whole lot of things that, that stifled stuff and brought schisms in the church and, and things like that. I've heard of churches where very difficult things have taken place and, and sometimes it's because of territory and some people in the church think that they have ownership and others think they have ownership or this or that and they want things to go this way and others want things to go this way and they let some differences rise up in such an, an ugly way that it creates a schism and stuff like that. Generally what happens in churches though is when people start bickering and arguing amongst one another then ministry stops. Because we get so caught up in who wronged who and why was this and I wanted the carpet to be this color and they picked that way and the 
board went with that color instead or this or that, just stupid stuff. I heard one friend, one of my friends went to help in a, a small church and they went to kind of give it some life and they went in and did a bunch of painting and stuff and while they were there there were two bushes on either side of the front steps going up to the place and, and they were just all but dead. And they went and he told one of the guys, he said, hey, we're going to buy some new bushes and put those in there and, uh, and just, just bring those back to life and stuff and just, just dig them up and get rid of them. And when somebody came up and found out, they got all upset about the fact that those were memorial bushes that somebody in somewhere in the history of the church had planted and put them on either side of there. And those were those memorial bushes and how dare they think they could dig them up. <laughs> they were dead. I guess that's why they were memorial bushes. <laughs> but the reality is, when the church is arguing with itself, it's not doing what it's called to do. And that's exactly what's happened here. So in chapter 17, the very first verse says, six days later. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, some people said that this was, scholars have kind of said that this was for Jesus to get some reinforcements and get a pat on the back and you're doing real good, Jesus, and go ahead and we're just here to to pat you on the back for the last lap to the cross and things like that and the suffering that you're going to go through and things but I don't see that at all I really believe that the whole purpose that Jesus grabs those three is that they have spent six days arguing they've spent six days bickering you know what happens in those six days of arguing and bickering and, and debating back and forth nothing Nobody's been, no poor have been fed, no, no ill have been, no blind have received their sight, no deaf have received their hearing, no, no demons have been released from the bondages of, of the demonic. None of that has happened. No, no one else has learned about who Jesus is. None of that has taken place because they're bickering. Because they're arguing back and forth. And that's why after six days, Jesus kind of says, okay, enough's enough. And he takes them up on the Mount of Transfiguration that we recognize it as now. Six days later, he takes and he takes the three most influential, the three guys that are that are uh, um, the closest to him within the twelve. I think there's going to be some pictures of it up here. And he takes them high up on a mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Jesus takes them up there and, and in the privacy with just those three high up on the mountain the reflection of the glory of God is shown on Jesus and what happens at that same time is that Moses and Elijah show up on either side of them 
Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And in Jesus Christ, the law and the prophets are completely fulfilled. Do you know why that's so awesome? Because every prophecy that has ever been made about the Christ, about the Messiah, about the, the return of Christ, about the end of the world is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Everything that has anything to do with your life and mine and, and our existence and our purpose and our reason for being here, it's fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and intercession of Jesus Christ. It, 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 he is the power. He is the name above all names. He is the Christ. He paid the penalty for your sin. Not only was the sin of the world placed upon Him, but the Scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. In other words, Jesus took the sin of all the world since Adam and Eve to the very last person born and took all of their sins and placed it upon himself. You know what that means? Is when you're going through some temptation and you fail a temptation or whatever, you know what? Jesus Christ knows all about that. He took that sin and not only took it upon him, he became that sin. Imagine that. He knows you. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows about your successes. He knows about your failures. He knows everything there is about you. And He loves you so much that He desires an intimate revelation, an intimate relationship, an intimate communion with you to help you walk through this life, to give you power in raising your kids, to give you wisdom and direction in your business, to, to help you in the relationships that are around you, to, to give you peace and comfort and to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, presenting your request to God. He desires to post peace on your heart. That's who he is. That's who he is. In Jesus Christ, all of the law is fulfilled. You know what? We don't have to sacrifice bulls anymore. We don't have to worry about what seed we plant next to what seed because they used to have to do that in the Old Testament. We don't, we don't have to worry about whether or not I'm wearing wool and polyester on the same days if the disciples have all that. <laughs> I, we, don't, we don't have to worry about all the rigmarole and all the laws and all the munition stuff because we're to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen. So all the prophecies and all the laws fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Wow. It's interesting that Peter thinks a building project would be a good thing to do. That has nothing to do with anything that's going on here. But in the midst of all of this, this is the whole reason I think that it's because of the argument that they're there. A voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. In other words, quit arguing with him. Quit arguing with him. Listen to him. This is my son. You were right, Peter, when you said he is the Christ, the son of the living God. So now pay attention. And if he says he's going to a cross, guess what? He's going to a cross. 
And if he says, those who want to follow me need to deny themselves and pick up a cross and follow after me, then listen, Peter. Pay attention to what's being said. Listen to him. Wow. Look on down and it says, verse 7, And Jesus came to them, or, verse 6, When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them, verse 7, and said, Get up and don't be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah had already come. And he's talking about John the Baptist. Now, I want you to look at verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. <laughs> have any of you ever prayed that over your son? Dear Lord, have mercy over my son. I have not prayed that. I haven't had any. Seriously, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's a lunatic and he's very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Don't just read over that. Recognize, clear back in chapter 9 and 10, Jesus called his disciples and said, Hey guys, hey guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what I need you to do, guys, I need you to pray that God will give us more people to help work the harvest. That's what I need you to do. But And so, so now I'm giving you authority. You've been listening. You've been I'm living with me for 24-7 for three years. I, you, you've been catching on to, to who I am and things like that. And, and now that we're at that point, guys, it's time for me to send you out. So as an apostle... On mission, on my mission, with my authority, I send you out. Give the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, do all of these things that I've told you to do. Preach and preach and care for the poor. Do all those things that I've been doing. And he sends them out with authority. And guess what? They go out and they do it. Every place they go, they're healing the sick, they're raising the dead, they're, they're causing the deaf to hear, the blind to see. Every place they go, they're seeing amazing miracles that they're doing. But now, all of a the sudden, they don't have it. Before, it was just one of them, just, just one of them pray for healing or pray for a demon, and it would happen. But now, all of a sudden, they don't have that. What is the difference? What changed? What happened? I believe it's the argument. I believe
believe it's the new light. You see, this new light is given to them, and they said, ah, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You're Lord. But I don't want to do with that. I'm just going to let it, let it lay. I liked what I've learned so far about you being able to multiply bread and raise the dead and all these other things, but I cross stuff. No, 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 no. Denying myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't sign up for that. And so they're... <laughs> they want Him for all the good things, but when it comes to service, when it comes to direction, when it comes to Him guiding them and directing them and moving and making a difference in their community, they're like, no, 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 no. people today that say that uh, church can pretty much run itself without the work of the Holy Spirit. That's a scary thought. That we could actually do things and stuff outside the Spirit of God and just move on and everything's okay. I want to ask you this morning is, as we prepare for communion and things is where, honestly, between you and God in a transfiguration moment, where are you and He? Genuinely, where is your relationship? And I, and I, I, I just would like this to be like kind of a judgment day honesty between you and Him. Where am I with you, Lord? You see, what Jesus says to him is... <laughs> Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, what am I going to do with you? He's talking about his disciples. And they're the guys that had already healed the sick, raised the dead, and caused the blind. Oh, you unbelieving. They should have had no problem believing they could cast out that demon. The problem was when the Lord gave them new life, they didn't want it. And, and if, your, if your relationship isn't all that it ought to be, If you stopped hearing God impressing you about things, about ministry, about loved ones, about, about your relationship with Him and your relationship with others, then my concern is that somewhere along the line, He may have given us some new life. And we said, hey, I don't want that. You want me to go talk to my neighbors about you? You want me to restore a relationship with her? Do you know what she did to me? You want me to talk? Yeah, that guy's a jerk. You, 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 Lord, him? Oh, you want me to stop cheating? I don't know if I do so good if I stop cheating more. Maybe my exams won't be so good, or maybe my bank account won't seem so right, whatever. Let me stop stealing. I, I don't steal, it's just a little bit. The company will never miss it. Walmart's got billions of dollars. What's it matter if I. It's just a few bucks. You want me to stop lying when I'm making a sale on this car or this contract or 
What? Come on, Lord. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. See, the problem is all those compromises in the negative are compromises that you might get some satisfaction at the moment, but you just received your reward in full. And what happens is it impacts everything else in ways that are far greater. And you end up paying a price that is far more painful, far more exacting, far more difficult. Because you don't have that clear communion. I guess Jeremiah did a lot of this and this. And you don't have that. You have this. You have God's up here, I'm down here. And God is wanting this. says the words, casts out the demon, the boy is well, and he's whole. And the, and the disciples ask, how did that happen? And Jesus just tells them, listen, those come out with prayer and fasting. What's prayer and fasting about? Prayer and fasting is not about me twisting God's arm. God, you know, you've got to do this. Prayer and fasting is about me getting in tune with him. Maybe that's where some of us need to be. Even after we've just done somewhat of a fast, maybe we need to just, okay, Lord, where was it you gave me light and I didn't obey? Where was it when you asked me to do something and I walked the other way? What? Where was it, Father, when you said, stop sinning and I just keep doing it? some light that we stopped obeying or some sin that we keep committing and we don't have to do any searching it's right there in front of us and it's keeping us from our peace with you Lord God I pray that you would help us to resolve this issue in the name of Jesus Christ under the blood of Jesus Christ in the power of your Holy Spirit Father have your way in us Father, where it's, whether it's loving the unlovable or forgiving someone who's genuinely harmed us or, or some selfish or sensual thing that's going on in our life, Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us and equip us and, and, and God, that you would work in us in such a way that, that we would recognize the vast reality that God is love. God is love. His desire for us is better than anything we could dream of, anything we could scheme, anything we could cheat, scheme, steal, or, or, or anything else. His plan, His way, His purpose is far greater than anything else. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not be an unbelieving generation. 
But instead, be a believing generation that is fully submitted to you, to your salvation, and to your lordship. Sanctify us, Lord. Set us apart. Minister to us. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. I'm going to ask those that are going to help with communion to come forward.
the altar. If you want to do that, feel free to do so. We're heading into the Lenten season. We're heading into this time of reflecting upon the incredible price that Jesus Christ paid for us. It wasn't merely the physical pain that he endured. People have endured the similar and the same. As excruciating as crucifixion is, that wasn't the worst of it. The reality was he became sin. Who knew no sin? He who knew perfect relationship with his Father became our sin, Hitler's sin, and every criminal's sin, and every bishop's sin, every preacher's sin. And he came in himself. And he came, he came in himself so that the penalty that we are due would pass over us. And at the night of what we recognize as his last supper, he took the bread and it's a Passover meal that had been going for thousands of years. The Jews still celebrate today. He took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. saying this, keep going after this it's reality, I paid the penalty it's settled, it's done stop working, it's done you don't have to do it, it's done this is a symbol of my body which is broken for you take me to remembrance of him several cups of wine in that meal but he takes the cup that's known as the cup of redemption and he holds it up and he blesses it and he says this is my blood this is a symbol an illustration of his blood we recognize that it's because of his blood and the the symbol, the reality that Jesus Christ was obedient to death, even death on a cross, that his blood is valuable, that his blood is powerful. So it's able to cleanse the deepest sin. It's able to, it, it, it's able to, it's, it's able to give us value. It's able to have compassion upon us. It's, it, it's able to meet your needs. It's able to heal. raises this cup and he blesses it and he says this is my blood, this is a symbol of my blood. Take a drink and remember to me. Take a drink. Father, I thank you and I praise you for who you are and for what you've done. I thank you that you brought this message to mind just really shortly, just long ago just because it's the day the day of transfiguration the day the church generally recognizes Father I pray that in all of us from time to time we have a moment of transfiguration if, if, if we're getting off track 
We're not seeing things the way we ought to see them. Lord God, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would help us see Jesus as he really is. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the resurrection and the life, the healer, the sustainer, the redeemer. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would impact us, impress us with that reality so strong that it, that it changes the way we walk, that it changes the way we live, that it, that, that it impacts who we are, and that that relationship, Father, is one that is, that is whole and beautiful and communion is crisp and clear. And, and Father, that, that we hear your voice, we hear your word, we sense your impressions upon us, and we become the force we become the representatives, the ambassadors. We, we fulfill the things that you have called us to do specifically that no one else on this earth can do. God, everywhere. Lord, I pray for the people over the next 12 months that, that this community of believers is going to reach because they've been praying for them, because they've been reaching out to them because they've been letting them know they care because they've been because they, they they've posted some people on their mirror that they're praying for from every day Lord and, and, and seeking to build a bridge strong enough to carry the weight of the gospel Lord God I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty and beautiful and powerful and holy thing in our midst oh we love you we 